The rampage unfolded over 13 hours, beginning in the small community of Portapik, Nova Scotia, and Colchester County the night of April 18. And it all ended at a gas station in Einfield, about 92 kilometers south of there. The gunman was fatally shot by police at around 11.26 a.m. on April 19th. In this episode, we will discuss what we know about what happened based on information from RCMP and interviews of that April 18th night. I'm Kevin, and this is a somber episode of the podcast. It gives me no pleasure to report on this story, but I felt it was needed, as it affects all of us in Canada. In this episode, we will look at the Nova Scotia Massacre of April 19th, 2020. You may be wondering why this episode came out so much later than the incident. And there are many facets to that answer. Honestly, this event took me by surprise, especially as it occurred during the COVID-19 lockdown. Also, a lot was not known about the event that took place in the days that followed. The report of the number of victims changed, and what exactly happened was slowly being reported. I wanted to get all the facts together before speaking about this, and provide some time for mourning of all the victims who lost their lives in this terrible event. This is in remembrance of them. This podcast is called A Mention with Kevin. Here, I will read summarized notes taken by RCMP and then speak more about what of this. So let's begin. Sometime before 10 p.m. on April 18th, Gabriel Wortman, 51, assaults his girlfriend in the Porta Pic area. A 911 call comes in about an assault between him and someone he knows. She escapes into the woods where she hides overnight. Portapik is known as a small wooded community along the Bay of Fundy, and about 100 residents live there year-round. Just after 10 p.m., RCMP say that they get a 911 call of gunshots in Portapik. Clinton Ellison says he is visiting his father's home in Portapik when the family hears a shot around 10 p.m. and sees a fire burning. His brother, Corey Ellison, goes out to look. Clinton later goes out to find Corey and discovers him lying on the road. Clinton flees into the woods where he hides for four hours. 10.26 p.m. RCMP officers arrive on the scene to find several victims and several structures on fire. Officers find a man with a gunshot wound leaving along Portapic Beach Road, the one road in and out of the community. The man tells RCMP he was driving when he was shot by someone in a passing car that looked like a police vehicle. The man survives. According to radio transmissions between paramedics and a dispatcher, police find the first dead victims within five minutes. 10.35 p.m. A local resident sees a vehicle driving away from Portapic through a field. Police now believe that the, that the gunman was leaving in a replica RCMP cruiser. 11.12 p.m. The gunman heads east to a community of Deadbur, where he parks in an industrial area and spends the night. He spends more than six hours there. 11.32 p.m. Nova Scotia RCMP tweet that they are responding to a firearms complaint in Portapik. 
people are asked to avoid the area of Portapique Beach Road, Bayshore Road, and Five Houses Road, and to stay in their homes with the doors locked. RCMP do not publicly address the situation for another eight hours. The next seven hours, police find multiple homes that have been set on fire. Some victims are discovered as police check various homes for survivors and the gunmen. More police arrive and the perimeters are set up to try and catch any suspects leaving the area. New Brunswick RCMP are also brought in to help with this. Police identify Wartman, who owns three properties in the area, as a suspect in the shootings. A house and a number of garages he owns are on fire. Police learn he owns several vehicles that look like police cars. Two replica police vehicles plus a third vehicle are found burning on the property. Police learn he is in possession of a pistol and long-barreled weapons. Many of the residents are moved to safety. There are seven separate locations in a five square kilometer area where 13 victims are found dead. The victims who live in the area, according to the property records, are Jolene Oliver, Aaron Tuck, and their daughter, Emily Tuck. Jamie and Greg Blair, Peter and Joy Bond, Elizabeth Joan Thomas, and John Zoll, Lisa McCauley, Don Madsen, and Frank Gullingen. It's now the next day, April 19th. At 5.43 a.m., the gunman leaves the Derbert industrial area and travels north along Highway 4 towards Wentworth. At 6.29 a.m., videos show the gunman entering the Wentworth area roughly 60 kilometers north of Portapic. Police believe shortly after that this goes to Hunter Road in West Wentworth, where he kills two men and a woman. At least two of the victims, Elena Jenkins and Sean McLeod, are known to the shooter. Police believe he stays in their residence for a period of time before setting it on fire. At 6.30 a.m., police say Wartman's girlfriend emerges from hiding in the woods in Portapique after calling 911. As a key witness, she tells police he has an authentic RCMP uniform, fully marked replica RCMP vehicle, and multiple firearms, including pistols and long rifles. The RCMP issue a bulletin for police agencies in Nova Scotia to be on the lookout for the gunman, with a description of him and his vehicle. At 8.02 a.m., the Mounties say via Twitter for the first time publicly that the Portapique situation involves an active shooter. Residents are reminded to stay inside. Around the same time, RCMP say a series of 911 calls come from Hunter Road in West Wentworth. Neighbors Lisa Owen and Daryl Thurier say they hear gunshots and see the Hunter Road home of Jenkins and McLeod on fire. Around 8.45 a.m., Owen and Thurier's son tells them he's seen their neighbor, Tom Bagley, lying dead near the Hunter Road house fire. 8.54 a.m., police release a photo of Wartman on Twitter and say he is considered armed and dangerous. RCMP tweet that there are multiple victims, but don't give specifics. At 9.23 a.m., video catches the gunman leaving Wentworth, roughly three hours after he arrived. 
At 9.43 a.m., the gunman continues southbound on Highway 4. He kills a woman, Lillian Campbell Hislop, who is walking along the highway in Wentworth Valley. A 911 call comes in the report of her death. At 9.48 a.m., police say the gunman then drives roughly 20 minutes south to a residency on Highway 4 in the Glen Holm area. He knocks on the door, awakening the residents. They call 911 and identify him to the operator, since they know him. They say he's carrying a long-barreled gun and driving a police car. They do not answer the door, and eventually, he leaves. At 10.04 a.m., via Twitter, RCMP tell people to avoid Highway 4 near Hidden Hilltop Campground in Glen Home, as the gunman is in the area. At 10.08 a.m., the shooter continues northbound on Highway 4 and reaches Plains Road and Dibbert, close to where he had stayed overnight. He pulls over one car and kills a person inside. He continues along Highway 4 and does the same to a second vehicle. The victims are Kristen Beaton and Heather O'Brien. At 10.15 to 10.20 a.m., the gunman drives through Onslow and the Truro area without stopping. At 10.17 a.m., police share publicly for the first time via Twitter that the gunman may be driving a vehicle that looks like an RCMP cruiser and wearing what appears to be an RCMP uniform. 10.21 a.m., police tweet that the gunman has been sighted in the area of Durbert and Central Onslow, about 30 kilometers east of Portapique. 10.25 a.m., a person who appears to be the gunman is seen on a surveillance video taken from the parking lot outside the Millbrook Trading Post. At 10.28 a.m., the gunman continues south on Highway 2 for six and a half kilometers. At 10.32 a.m., he passes a gas station in the Brookfield area. At 10.49 a.m., two RCMP officers, Constable Heidi Stevenson and Constable Chad Morrison, arrange to meet in an area where Highway 2 meets Highway 224. The location is about 70 meters driving southeast of Portapic. Morrison believes the RCMP car that is pulling up next to him is Stevenson, but instead it's the gunman who opens fire. Morrison escapes with injuries and notifies dispatch he's been shot. The gunman drives south on Highway 2. Stevenson collides with the gunman's vehicle. The gunman shoots and kills her. A man, Joey Weber, is driving by and arrives on the scene. The gunman kills him too. The shooter then lights both his mock cruiser and Stevenson's police car on fire. He takes Weber's vehicle. At 11.06 a.m., RCMP tweet that the gunman is believed to be driving a silver SUV and traveling southbound on Highway 102 from Brookfield. The gunman goes down Highway 224 and pulls into a home on the east side of the road. He knows the owner, Gina Goulet. He kills her. Police say he removes the RCMP clothing he is wearing and transfers his weapons to the victim's car. He leaves driving her Mazda 3. At 11.24am, RCMP tweet the gunman is driving a Chevy Tracker. They say he was last seen in Milford. In fact, by this time the gunman is driving the Mazda 3.
But a minute before this tweet goes out, at 11.23 a.m., the gunman continues to drive south on Highway 102 and pulls into the Irvine Big Stop in Einfield, about 92 kilometers south of Portapique. It's a gas station that tactical officers are also arriving at to refuel. An officer gets out of their vehicle and police say there was an encounter. Wartman is shot and killed at 11.26 a.m. In total, he traveled at least 155 kilometers during this rampage. 23 lives were taken. Words cannot describe the devastation that was caused in Nova Scotia. And so, I guess to move forward, we have to ask ourselves, what now? Well, the government acted quite fast on this, actually. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, less than two weeks after what he called the deadliest rampage in our country's history, announced a ban on some 1,500 makes and models of military-grade assault-style weapons in Canada, effective immediately. These tragedies verberate still. They shape our identity. They stain our conscience. They make adults out of children. And the heartbreaking truth is they're happening more often than they once did, Trudeau said of such mass shootings. Their families deserve more than thoughts and prayers. Canadians deserve more than thoughts and prayers. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair said enough is enough. Banning these firearms will save Canadian lives. Trudeau said that there will be a two-year amnesty period to allow people who already own these firearms to comply with the ban. Trudeau promised to pass legislation in the coming months to provide fair compensation to people who own these firearms. These weapons were designed for one purpose and one purpose only, to kill the largest number of people in the shortest amount of time, Justin Trudeau said. There is no use and no place for such weapons in Canada. While he acknowledged that most firearm owners are law-abiding citizens, he said hunters don't need this sort of firepower. You don't need an AR-15 to bring down a deer, he said. Generally speaking, an assault-style weapon is a semi-automatic firearm with an ammunition magazine built to quickly fire. There's already a legal limit of five rounds on the maximum size of a magazine. All Canadians must be in compliance with the law by April 2022, Justice Minister David Lametti said, adding that gun owners who have not disposed of their banned firearms by that point could face sanctions under the criminal code. While there is an amnesty period, the firearms cannot be used anywhere as of the announcement. Lemedy said firearm owners may return the firearms to the manufacturer or export them as part of a sale between now and 2022. Some of the principal models being prohibited are the M16, AR-10, AR-15 rifles, and M4 carbine, the US rifle M14, the Beretta CX-4 Storm Carbine, Swiss Arms Classic Green and Four Season Siri Rifles, CZ Scorpion Evo 3 Carbine and Pistol, and many other models. 
I really can't give any more comment to this massacre. All I can say is that it was raw devastation that unfolded in Nova Scotia. I see what the government has done with this quick ban on rifle models and their hope from preventing any other tragedies like this in the future from ever happening. I personally think this was the right decision for them to make, but I'd like to know what you guys think. Please leave me a mention at my Twitter handle at Kevin underscore Hobie so that I can hear your perspective on this matter. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This has been one of the most difficult episodes to record as I wanted to give my respects to the victims and not glorify the gunmen in any way. I hope I fairly portrayed the truths that occurred in Nova Scotia from April 18th to April 19th, as best as I can. And my heart goes out to all the victims, their families, the community that was affected by this devastation. This episode and this entire podcast is produced solely by me, Kevin Hobie. Thank you for listening. I hope you are safe and I hope you are well. Good night.